Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And welcome to part two of our women in skateboarding two-parter. <laughs> yes. Part one has happened. And, and now we're into part two. And now we're into part and, two. And we're having a great time. Yeah. We're skating. We're falling as, <laughs> as we established very well to our audience in part one. Caroline and I, not skateboarders. No, it's, it's funny how automatically my brain, as soon as I hadn't even put my weight, full weight on the board, I just put a foot and and considered lifting my second foot off the ground my whole body was like nope 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 unnatural you're about to fall you have no natural balance what are you thinking getting on this small piece of like cardboard with wheels and so i sat on it and rolled which was adorable it was the only thing i could do to be safe and i think it was also quite entertaining for the other tenants in our office building <laughs> because we were just in the parking lot um, halfway making fools of ourselves, but that was the fun of it. I hope it was entertaining. Yeah. Well, we still have a lot of ground to cover about women in skateboarding today and into the future. But first, we kind of want to do something a little bit different and do a little bit of stuff mom never told you listener mail at the beginning of the show. That's right. We heard from two amazing ladies about their experiences getting into skating growing up. First up, we've got listener Jessica, who discovered the hard way that maybe you shouldn't put two people on a skateboard. And then following that up, we have Tara, who was obsessed with skateboarding as a kid, also made her own ramps, all of which was a ploy to get girls to come over and play at her house. <laughs> Back when I was in college, I bought a longboard. Um, it's a skateboard that's longer, obviously, longboard. So I could skate around campus and get to classes. And one weekend, it was a long weekend, and my roommate decided she wanted to skateboard too. 
but she didn't want to go by herself. She wanted to go together. So then the both of us are standing on this longboard at the top of a little hill and decided to just go down it. And we didn't get very far before we just totally crashed and burned and flailed out all over the sidewalk and skinned our knees, scraped our elbows. Um, I didn't give up skateboarding and it was a really good bonding experience and she's still one of my really good friends to this day. All right, skateboarding, skateboarding. I'm not really planning this out. I'm just kind of going for it. All right, I was obsessed with skateboarding when I was a kid. Um, and I grew up in a suburban, a white suburban community uh, that did not focus on diversity at all. And so I was the little queer kid, little queer girl kid <laughs> growing up obsessed with skateboarding, always being pretty bad at it because there was no access, there was no outlet, there was no skate park, and there was certainly no skate park that my parents would drive me to. So I made ramps in my backyard out of old pieces of plywood, and whenever I could get friends to come over, which was not that frequently because I was not that popular, um, I would force them to skateboard and learn how to ride skateboards because I, at a young age, was so upset that skateboarding was such a boy sport. You know, all I heard about was Tony Hawk, which was great, but, you know, girls are awesome. (laughs) And I wanted the girls that I thought were awesome in my life to know how to skateboard. Um, Unfortunately for me, that turned into a rather socially awkward experiment that I didn't really recognize until I was much older. Um, But that's my history of skateboarding, and I love that you guys are talking about this for whatever reason. Good luck. Love following your blog. Have a good day. And I got to tell you, Caroline, I've been loving hearing our listeners' stories, but also like actually hearing their stories. It was so cool that people sent us audio files of their experiences with skateboarding because we get so many letters but hearing them spoken is so different. Yeah, we love we love letting you guys tell your own story and yeah. being able to share them. It's great. Yeah. So thanks to everybody who did that. And if you want to send us an audio story, just record one, an audio file and email it to us, momstuffathowstuffworks.com. But now we want to talk about how many Jessicas and Taras are out there today skating because in part one, we established the history of women's skateboarding. We've been doing it since the, since sidewalk surfing was first invented. But what does the skateboarding landscape look like for girls today? And before we get any further, let's offer a few stats as we love to do. It's time for some stuff mom never told you stats. Oh, we trademark love it. stats corner. Stats corner. What? Stats. What? Come, welcome to Stats Corner. Uh, we will serve you a, a percentage of what you want to hear. That's right. Yes. I love it. Uh, that's our new motto. Uh, so the Skate Park Association of America estimates that there are between 11 and 14 million skateboarders in the country. But it is growing. It has grown from 2.1 million 
1998 to more than 13 million in 2012. So it definitely is not. Even though it certainly does still have its underground and subculture connotations, it is certainly not an underground subculture thing anymore. And of course, we want to know if there are that many millions of skateboarders in America, how many are girls? Well, according to the National Sporting Goods Association, girls make up 25% of skateboarders, which ain't too shabby. This idea that girls are some invisible minority in skateboarding, like, uh, no, I mean, 25% is... Well, it's 25%. I don't need to explain to people how much. Okay, It's we, a quarter of the pie. I was about to put it in pie terms. I know, delicious, delicious pie. Or if you're more of a cake person, it can yeah. be a quarter of a cake, can too. Can be a cookie? Oh, yeah, I probably should eat Or lunch. a pizza. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I just wonder, and I wish we had this information, but I wonder, since women have always been a relative minority in, in skateboarding... I, I wonder what the stats were in the early 60s, mid 60s, when it was way more seemingly cultural, culturally acceptable for girls to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like from what we've read that they were probably never it was probably never 50 50 exactly, mm-hmm. but fairly close. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in at least not in such an ex- exclusionary kind of environment. Yeah, because even today, while. I mean, a girl skateboarder doesn't seem like such a a revolutionary idea as it might have in, say, the 80s or 90s or even even the earliest of the 2000s. Girls still have to shred some stereotypes because they abound. I mean, if you talk to any skateboarder who identifies as a female, like it's always, always, always stereotypes. Yeah, that you have to, that you're not going to be nearly as good. Right. You're not going to be as talented. You're going to be afraid of hurting yourself or getting dirty. All of these like super like gender 101 stereotypes that women and girls face all the time anyway. And that whole idea of they're not real in quotes skaters. You're not going to skate as, as fast or as hard. You're not going to go for the hardest tricks. You won't be able to land the hardest tricks. Yeah. And so you're just, I mean, you're really just a Betty on the sidelines. Yeah, case in point, Thrasher did an interview with top pro skateboarder Nigel Houston, uh, who said, the women do the downhill stuff because they think it's like sidewalk surfing. They don't realize how dangerous it really is. I personally believe that skateboarding is not for girls at all. Not one bit. And to that, I have a sneer for you, Mr. Houston. And I also just think that that says way more about him and what pop culture has been telling us for a couple decades than it does about any actual women or girls who are actually skating. Oh, absolutely. And there was so much <laughs> hue and cry over him saying that, that he eventually had to backpedal or whatever the skateboard <laughs> version of that would be. Roll backwards? He had to roll himself backwards and offer, you know, very like PR friendly kind of apology. But I have a feeling it's when, when those kinds of statements are made, there is no gray area in it. You're saying explicitly, I don't believe skateboarding is for girls. So your, you know, your, your friendly apology, I feel like is a little bit too little too late. And that quote too was something, uh, called out by Catherine Sierra in that Wired magazine piece in which she goes on to talk about how she skates like a man is still the top honor. Like, it's the best thing 
a skate, a, a girl skateboarder, and I hate even using that qualifier, can be called, you know, to be like, whoa, you skate like a dude, bro, whoa. Yeah, it's like, it's like we're even farther back than women were at the dawn of skating. Yeah. Even. I mean, back, there was no like, oh, cool, hey, you're awesome because you skate like a man. It was just like, mm. No, you're you're a great skater. You're an amazing freestyler, or you know whatever the the case may be. Look at that handstand you just did. It wasn't about being a great skater for a girl. Yeah, there was no such thing. But it seems like now we're having to dig ourselves out of that trench. Well, something interesting uh, that jumped out is uh, the conversation around skater Alana Smith, who is a certified, pardon my French, badass. I mean, this girl became the youngest X Games medalist ever. She has a Guinness World Record for this at the age of 12. Yeah, what was I doing? At tw- I was probably sitting on my skateboard being pulled by my dogs. I was reading Little Women and <laughs> pretending to be Joe Marsh. Was I a little too old? I don't care. Yeah, let's be honest. I was probably reading Black Beauty. Um, but yeah, so Smith was the first female competitor to land a McTwist, which... I didn't know the definition of this, but it's an inverted 540-degree mute grab aerial. So basically, okay, first of all, side note, when I read McTwist, I thought about a McFlurry. Yeah. And oh, it made yeah. me want a milkshake big time. So bad. So lactose intolerant. Carolyn and I are very hungry right now yeah. in the podcast studio. Uh, but the McTwist is... I mean, it's really cool. It is exactly what it sounds like. You shoot up into the air and you crouch down holding on to your board and you spin 540 degrees. Uh, for people who aren't great at math, uh, welcome to Stats Corner. That's more than, more, more than a full circle. Um, I watched Tony Hawk. I actually replayed this video of Tony Hawk doing this McTwist a few times because it was mesmerizing. So yeah, Alana did it. And I believe she was 12 when she was already landing a McTwist. And she uh, she said once, when people see girls skating, they don't see us as skaters. They don't think we take it seriously and are willing to go all out. And being too much of a case in point in this ESPNW article about Alana Smith, uh, they talked to pro skater Lindsay Adams Hawkins Pastrana, who says about Alana Smith, yeah, she skates like a dude. And that is a big compliment. Yeah, well, skating like a girl, according to Lindsay Adams Hawkins Pastrana, is a bad thing. And she was talking about how what people think of as girl style indicates that you weren't taught properly or you didn't learn properly. And she says that it's a certain way we bend that just shows that you didn't have good instruction or whatever. She also said that it's cool that Alana doesn't limit herself to being the best female skateboarder, but she wants to be the best overall. And yes, that is good. But when you pair it with the whole thing of like, she skates like a dude, it becomes sort of a backhanded yeah. Compliment. Well, it's a whole not like other girls trope or mm-hmm. good for a girl backhanded compliment. Um, and it jumped out to me, too, that the headline for that ESPNW article about her was Smith blurs skateboard gender lines. And when I saw it out of context, I thought I was going to read about a transgender skater because today when I hear, you know, read blurring gender lines, like, oh, okay, this is what's going to be where it's like, oh, no, blurring gender lines means someone is skating simply at the top of the game, period. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that that to me goes to show how entrenched that really is. And anytime you watch 
these videos about like highlighting really amazing pro female skaters or, you know, showcases of female skaters, a lot of times like the glowing interviews that are interspliced with it are people being like, I mean, it's amazing. I, I couldn't believe how it's so phenomenal. Like there is always this just shock from people whenever girls are skating well, which is like, yeah, but they're, but not not the same as like, oh, yeah, I mean, like he skates really well. That's cool. Well, it's not like it's been, I mean, people, where is the institutional memory? It's like people completely forgot about Patty McGee or that women like her even existed. Oh, well, Patty McGee, she's not authentic. She's not a real skater by today's terms. And also, I think I should be using the term, uh, she rides well, not skates well, but that also goes to show how I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a real skater. No, I, I didn't skate. I rode. Uh, yeah. When I was being pulled by animals, because that's how that's Kristen. That is how I roll. <laughs> it's true. And uh, fittingly for stuff I've never told you, we're, we're now going to lead listeners from stats corner to study corner. <laughs> Let's go to study hall. Yeah, I love it. Shall we go to study hall? Because um, there have been some academic studies on gender within skateboarding culture and we found a, a really fascinating one in the journal Gender and Education, which was published in 2005. So a little bit dated, but still really relevant to our discussion today. And it's called Skater Girlhood, an Emphasized Femininity. Subtitle, You Can't Land an Ollie Properly in Heels. Yeah, subtitle, which was actually a quote from one of the girls interviewed for the study. But it's a fascinating look at... Gender and femininity and girls using hobbies like skating, which are not considered to be traditionally feminine, as a way to define themselves and their own sort of brand of femininity um, and how skating can be positive because it's fun. It's an adventure. It brings you confidence. It allows for nonconformity. But. And, and, you know, how how growing skills and, and breeding your skills breeds confidence also, which is all positive, but sort of the unfortunate thing that I was thinking about as I was reading the study is that all of the femininity discussed in the study is in terms of like, well, I'm not like other girls. I'm sort of leading this alternative girlhood. And it's like, well, while alternative girlhood and femininity is wonderful and fine and great, so are other types of femininity. And it seemed to be that skating was a way for a lot of these girls that the authors talked to to sort of navigate their way in a world that wants them to wear pearls and high heels when they would rather wear baggy skating clothes and go out and get hurt and get dirty. Well, and it makes sense, though, that they might veer toward the not like other girls line of thinking when you're dealing with a subculture that is very much like entrenched in masculinity it's like an oppositional kind of masculinity that still elevates itself above femininity i.e. oh you skate like a girl you skate like a girl and so anytime and it's very clear in the interviews like with these girls um that anytime they transgress that and kind of violate those boundaries and enter into that subculture they do have to they're continually having to defend themselves and so it is like, well, you know, no, I'm not I'm I'm not just a girl. And obviously, based on the title, they do talk a lot about this thing called emphasized femininity, which is another way of saying women's compliance with 
subordination to not only men, but to what is the culturally valued type of femininity that we're sort of led to believe we need to be a part of. Yeah, wearing high heels and all of that fun stuff. Yeah. And the others uh, do talk about how the girls that they're interviewing usually learned the basics in private and gradually ventured into public skating spaces where they usually end up being confronted by boys asking why they're invading their skate space, which, again, is just like the whole geek girl or gamer girl conversation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Yeah, I mean, and I think pretty much any female skateboarder you talk to will have an experience where... That happened. Um, but what's really interesting to see, too, among this group of girls, and these were younger girls, too, that they were talking about, I think is important to point out, that there was a lot still of girl-on-girl policing for their motives for skating and their level of expertise. Um, this, in so many ways, to me, mirrors uh, fake geek girl and gaming culture because... The girls who really prided themselves the most on resisting that so-called emphasized femininity were the ones who were most on guard of, you know, if another girl rolls up to the skate park, it's like, oh, why are you here? Are you here just to impress the guys? Are you here because you want a boyfriend? Do you really know how to put your skateboard together and take it apart and take care of it? What do you really know? Mm -hmm. Because there is, I mean, it does seem like you kind of have to overshoot and overcompensate, um, maybe because you aren't gonna just be accepted off the bat as like, hey, I'm a, I'm a cool person and I wanna learn how to do this. Let's be friends. Like, no, that's not how it works. But fortunately, there are those women and girls out there who are advocating for other women and girls to sort of, to get in the game and, and actually learn how to skate and skate safely and skate well. Absolutely, because it seems like, 
the, you know, the pros who are coming up, even in the 70s and the 80s, and of course, like people who are skating today and are, who are relative like newbies are so fed up with all of this gender nonsense because it really is nonsensical that there's been a lot of advocacy really starting in the early and mid 2000s of women helping other women and girls and even carving out their own spaces to be like, mm-hmm. all right, you know what? You can have your skate parks or your abandoned building, whatever. We're going to set up these spaces where it's safe for girls to come and learn to skate and be able to skate together and not have to worry about all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, Cindy Whitehead, who we mentioned earlier, started the group Girl is Not a Four-Letter Word. Uh, Whitehead actually went pro in the 70s at 16 years old and was endorsed by Puma, who shoes I do love as well. Uh, but her professional career ended when skate parks died, when that whole fad started dying out, insurance rates went up, skate parks started closing their doors. So she transitioned then her pro skateboarding career into sports styling, which, long story short, led her to a collaboration with skateboard manufacturer Dwindle Inc. to design this line called Girl is Not a Four-Letter Word, specifically for girls. And she, I mean, you know, you have the, this company going on, but it's also a form of activism as well. She's done a TED Talk about this. She's always stumping on behalf of girls getting involved in the sport. And and part of the girl is not a four-letter word proceeds support longboarding for peace and girl writers organization. So City White has definitely been one of the most visible and vocal women really kind of starting this wave of advocacy that was has also been picked up by highly influential skateboarder as well, Mimi Noop. Yeah, she went pro back in 2003 and ended up taking home a handful of X Games medals. And she has acknowledged the importance of seeing other women skating. There's that visibility issue we talk about time and time again. But the industry does treat men and women differently. Yeah, I mean, the way that it markets to them, the products that are even available, um, how competitions are set up and uh, how much you know, the winners of competitions get, depending on uh, what division they're in. So she co-founded Hoopla Skateboards, which includes a team that Alana Smith, for instance, our golden girl, is on. And uh, it also offers products specifically for female skateboarders. And she also co-founded alongside Carabeth Burnside, a nonprofit called Alliance, which provides a collective voice for women in action sports, which was influential in bringing up from Brazil a skater, Letitia Buffoni, who was actually the first female skateboarder Nike signed to its team. So she's also a big name right now in the sport as well. But you mentioned the amount that a winner would earn based on what division they're in, Kristen, and Noop and Burnside together did lobby the X Games for more prize money for female winners. And in 2009, partially thanks to their efforts, the X Games did start awarding equal purses to men and women. And that was echoed, too, in our Women in Tennis episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And one other woman who's playing a role in trying to get more girls attracted to the sport and provide resources is Lisa Whitaker, who founded the website Girls Skate Network. Yeah, and Girls Skate Network has been really influential for providing 
a platform and community for girls skaters around the country to just, you know, if they're in a small town and they might be the only girls skating around, they can go online and they can see other girls doing this. They can share their own videos. Um, they can find resources for themselves. So that's been a, a highly influential space for uh, for girls, too. But there are still some challenges to retaining girls in skateboarding as they grow up, which is something usually echoed in any conversation about girls and sports. And this was something that Jenna Selby, who's the co-founder of the all-girls skate company Rogue, talked to Huck Magazine about. Yeah, she wrote, one thing we noticed in the UK scene, especially when I was younger, is that there were younger girls with amazing skills who would hit their teenage years and sort of disappear due to outside pressures like what their friends were doing and what magazines were telling them to do. So yet again, we see a pipeline issue, this time in sports. And that's why a lot of these professional skaters and community organizers who are really invested in getting girls and women, adult women skating, think that visibility and role modeling and mentoring are essential to sealing that leaky pipeline because we see it over and over and over again. Like if, if you're not seeing it, it's not, it's not as inspiring. I mean, media makes a big difference. Well, to get some firsthand insight on this and really get to know someone who is doing this work to get more girls into skateboarding and to make skateboarding itself a friendlier place for girls and women. We talked to Kristen Ebling, who is a skateboarder who also works for a really cool organization called Skate Like a Girl. Yeah, so let's hear from Kristen. My name is Kristen Ebling. I've been skateboarding uh, for over 15 years. Um, and when I was 17, I've been skating about four or five years at this point, I went out and uh, did a skateboard competition um, that was supposed to be for all girls, and I remember thinking, I'm the only girl skateboarder I know. So I showed up, and uh, my draw hit the floor when I saw, like, 20 girls, like, ripping around the park doing tricks I'd never even tried before. Um, and I was just like, whoa, what is this? And, you know, it was Skate Like a Girl that was putting on the contest. So I would tell everybody that. At that point, I sold my soul. I was like, sign me up. I want to be a part of this. I want to be included. I want to be skating with other women and, you know, about eight years of volunteering later, I got my job last summer as the more or less the chapter director of the Seattle chapter of Scaling the Girl. Um, but I primarily focus on programs. So right now my title is officially program director of Scaling the Girl. Um, but I do everything from coaching kids one-on-one, teaching lessons. I oversee a teen volunteer program, so I lead training. Um, and, you know, I'm also a professional athlete on the side, so I compete and, um, have some sponsorships and stuff like that, travel the world to, uh, ride my skateboard and kind of spread the love of skating. Can you tell us a little bit about how Skate Like a Girl started and sort of what its mission is? Why, why, for instance, when you came up when you were 17, were all of these girls skating together? Well, Skate Like a Girl was started, Skate Like a Girl was started in Olympia in around the year 2000. Um, definitely influenced by like the like badassness of like Riot Girl, um, sort of like the embers of like the DIY culture down there. I don't know if you've heard of Slater Kinney, yeah. Kate Kill, Captain like, oh, yeah. like that whole rad Riot Girl movement. They're definitely influenced by that. 
Um, and they were the founders, uh, Holly and Fleur, they were um, students at Evergreen and had been living in Olympia, influenced by that culture. And they, they're actually snowboarders, um, but it's really expensive and inaccessible to get women up to the mountain. But they wanted more women to be involved in board sports because it was such like a boys club. And so they came up with Skate Like a Girl um, and started hosting like clinics. They had no idea what they were doing, but they didn't care. Um, and they went out there and, you know, started getting women together to skate. And over the course of a couple of years, it went from just being sort of this loose knit thing to being a little bit more organized, hosting camps, working with younger girls, um, women of all ages and abilities, hosting a contest where professional athletes, female athletes were coming from like California and Oregon and all over to compete and take part in their event. So that was kind of the first couple of years. Um, and the founders moved up to Seattle and that's when they started getting way more official. So they met up with other folks, uh, Nancy Chang, who's our current board chair, who really pushed making Skate Like a Girl an official 501c3. Uh, and that's kind of where I came on board. We were still really only serving girls and women, um, really focusing on that end. Um, there was no paid staff at that point. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I came on board. Like I was really excited about all the stuff we were doing. Um, nowadays we do a lot more stuff with co-ed boys and girls. Um, and we're definitely have more, I'd say of a business model, um, where we're able to subsidize free and low cost programs by hosting uh, fee-based programs. And just kind of the idea of why should girls in particular learn to skateboard? What's, you know, they could do so many other things. Why skateboard? Well, I think skateboarding is, you can learn so many life lessons from skating. Um, I think also there's something empowering and life altering if a girl tries skateboarding versus something that is more gender neutral or that they're encouraged to do. I think trying a sport that everyone tells you is dangerous, not only is it male dominated, but a lot of times girls are told you can't do that. Like I have a lot of girls in my programs that are like, my dad told me I can't do this. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you dad. <laughs> um, like it's that like, you know, a lot of parents are really anti, but then I think about other sports where women are totally included and are seen on a world like scale as in, you know, professional in that field. Like I'm thinking gymnastics, like ice skating, like they're doing like flips and spins and all this crazy stuff. Like why is skateboarding such a boys club? Doesn't make sense to me in terms of like the danger or like girls, sh- you know, shouldn't move their bodies in those ways. Um, and so I, th- I think if a girl tries skateboarding, which there's all that baggage, like you're not supposed to do it, not for girls, and they try it and, you know, maybe they don't skateboard past that one day they did a clinic with us. To me, that doesn't matter. I think when girls and women try things that they're told they're not supposed to and they have a little bit of success with it, that is a life-altering. They could leave our clinics and, and when we, you know, teach them, like, well, I tried skateboarding today. Tomorrow I'm going to apply for my MBA program. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we build ourselves up by little successes. And if we can create a fun, successful experience um, for a girl or woman um, with skateboarding, I think, you know, they're going to go on to be a better person and and take on more risk and challenge themselves in the future. Um, And obviously if they keep skating, it's going to continue to build a culture within skating that's more gender inclusive um, and also inclusive in other ways as well. And I mean, along those same lines, one thing that jumped out to me in a Skate Like a Girl video I was watching yesterday was 
this girl who was maybe 10 years old talking about all the reasons why she loves skateboarding and the organization. And one of the things was how it taught her the importance of failing and how how it's okay to fail and how, like, if you fall down, you can get up. And if you get a little bumped and bruised, that's okay. And that, like, I hear that advice sometimes from, like, you know, adults who are like, at some point learn to fail. But hearing that from a kid, especially a girl, was really eye-opening for me. So that's kind of a revolutionary message for girls in particular to hear, maybe, because usually it's like, oh, girls, you know, you follow the rules, stay prim and proper, all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like Mary was saying in that video um, that you're referring to is that, you know, you have to fail. Failure is part of the process. If you get it right the first time, not only is that not rewarding, but that's not really real. That's almost like an anomaly when you do something perfect the first time. Um, and skateboarding, that's one of the huge life lessons I was talking about that, you know, it naturally teaches you. You have to be resilient. You have to be able to fall down and get back up. You have to let yourself be scared and work through that fear. Walk down that hall that you don't want to. Um, but you know you want to be successful. You know you want to learn how to drop in and learn how to ollie. And you don't know how long that failure is going to be till you get it right. And I think that's huge too, is walking in this unknown and taking those steps towards what you want without knowing for sure exactly what that looks like and, exa- and knowing that your path is going to be different than the next woman's. Um, there's just all kinds of things you can think of in terms of skating and applying that to like life challenges just in general. Um, but yeah, definitely failure is a part of the process, not the outcome or not a possible outcome. And it seems like too, in terms of what you were saying about kind of walking into the unknown, if we're talking about the context of skateboarding with girls walking to a skate park where they might be, the only girl might be one of those unknowns. So could you talk a little bit about sort of, at least maybe for you personally, um, the difference of what it's like to skate with other girls as opposed to skating with a bunch of dudes? Definitely uh, being the only girl at the skate park is probably one of the worst things. Um, But I feel like of all the crazy things guys have said to me and all the things that have happened to me being like, you know, the only girl for so long really helped me build, build a mindset that I think has made me perfect for the position I'm in with skate like a girl. Like I understand what it's like to be the only girl. And I'm very passionate about making sure that other girls and women don't have that same experience or if they do, it's not as bad and they know how to deal with it. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, not that I want to project any of these ideas, but I think it's important for other girls and women to hear like what I went through. Um, at the skate park, a lot of times, uh, guy, like if I landed a trick before some other guy did or we were trying it, like a lot, oftentimes I would hear, well, you're just a girl. It doesn't matter. Um, I got that a lot. Um, I also, right, when I started to go through puberty around like 13, 14, like, um, like they would comment on my butt and my boobs, my body, like pretty often, like, hey, like you have a load in your pants. What's up? Like just the worst things. Um, I would get excluded like really often. So like all the guys would go skate a street spot and they would just be like, Oh yeah, cool. We'll be right back in five minutes. And they would just like ditch me. Um, and one of my favorite things is that I worked really hard for a sponsor me tape. So I filmed all these tricks and I worked really hard and I was trying to get sponsored by this indoor skate park. And I turned my video in. I didn't hear back, didn't hear back. So I went right up to the team manager and I said, Hey, um, you know, what's up? I turned in my video, like, you know, is it a yay or nay? Like, you know, which was 
very nerve wracking for me. I was like 17 years old at the time, maybe 16. This is before I like a girl, so 16. Um, and I was like, what's up? And he goes, you know, Kristen, your footage is really great, but we sponsor girls that are good, good looking, not just girls that are good. Um, so that was like a huge blow. I was like, whoa, like I have to be girly. Like I had, you know what I mean? And that was so hard to hear. Um, so now like, I feel like it's definitely different especially in Seattle with so many people, girls, men, boys, girls, learning how to skate all together through Skate Like a Girl programs. Um, that culture, I'm hoping, is shifting for women, and no one has to hear those things that I heard like 10, year, 10 15 years ago when I was starting skating. Um, but I think it definitely is still hard. I think most of the times when I go to the skate park, I go by myself, you know, maybe I'll see one girl, one other girl, which I think is better than most places, but... Um, I think generally guys in Seattle know about Skate Like a Girl and know about what we do and have participated or know somebody that has, that we have a level of like legitimacy that, you know, people are starting to change their minds about who can participate in skating. But, you know, I still definitely get some flack sometimes, you know, and get weird comments and stuff. Do you think that it's getting any better industry wise and marketing wise in terms of like how, how the female demographic, if you want to call it, is treated? Like, they try to put girls out there sometimes, and they try to, like, get girls on the teams, and there's been, like, kind of some male allies throughout the years that, you know, Ed Templeton is one that comes to mind um, with Toy Machine Skateboards putting Alyssa Steamer on the team um, and really supporting her for years. But I think the general mainstream skate culture is never going to be able to market to a way, market women in a way that I feel like is authentic and that speaks to me. At the end of the day, their market is like 15 to 25 year old guys, and that is so that's a, such a different market. Um, and I'm pretty outspoken um, to girls and women uh, in particular, just about you know you can sit here and complain all day about how we're not sponsored, we don't get coverage. You open a Transworld magazine, uh, Thrasher magazine, you don't see any girls. If you do see a girl, uh, she's like half naked with a skateboard over her boobs. Um, we're going to continue to see those images unless until like we step up and make our own media. It's like Tony Hawk. I recently wrote this in a small editorial I did for um, uh, the Skate Witches, which is a zine that my friends and I put together. Um, and I, I basically said like, you know, Tony Hawk doesn't call up Sports Illustrated and get pissed that he's not on the cover. You know, Sports Illustrated is catering to a dominant like mainstream sport. Um, like audience, right? Like skateboarding magazines are catering to male participants because that's who's primarily participating. Um, and so as girls and women, I feel like we need to make our own content, our own media, our own, we need to have our own photographers, our own videos. And one day it'll come to a point where those cultures can mesh. And I think there's overlap between the mainstream culture and what we do. But I think by and large, like I've been so bummed on <laughs> pretty much anything that um, mainstream skate media puts out, like your average, photographer or writer in a magazine like just it's just the worst stuff like um like even if a girl is really good it's, it's something that's like wow the girls are really stepping it up this year it's like wow we've been stepping it up like just because you just noticed like now we're stepping it up um and uh you know there's stuff like yeah here's Lacey baker she skates the dude she's got some sick style you know so again downplaying and like it's just I think the nicest way I can put it is that it's inauthentic and it doesn't speak to me as a female skateboarder. And it, you know, for the most part, makes me just inspired to create my own media. 
Well, back to Skate Like a Girl. Um, can you tell us a little bit why? So the dudes can skate too with Skate Like a Girl. Can you talk a little bit about how the organization is focused not only on cultivating girl skaters, but also it seems like diversity among skaters and why that's important? Yeah. Um, so we have a, we have a t-shirt that we put out, um, and it just says, this is what a skateboarder looks like. And I think that's kind of the easiest way to put it is that overall our organization is a girl centric organization. We're always constantly going to be thinking about how can we make space for girls and women, um, in our sport. Um, but also understanding that anyone can participate and that anyone can be a skateboarder regardless of ability, age, um, and any other factor. Um, and we want to kind of break down any walls that there are to access. So, um, I will tell you, I'll tell you first about a little bit how kind of organically we started serving guys because that was never our intention. Like I said, back in 2005, when I first got involved, we only did stuff with girls and women. And what was happening was we were hosting like a, girls 12 and under skate clinic and so-and-so's little brother wanted to join in and at first we were like mm, no but then that wasn't the first little brother we had dads and we had older brothers that wanted to help volunteer and we sort of looked at ourselves and we said okay this is sort of a crossroad do we only serve girls and women and we continue to operate in that what i would call like a silo and we make like a bubble around girls and we say this is for girls only and then knowing that that girl probably isn't going to skate outside of our program or do we start to include brothers, dads, um, and other siblings um, into our community? And we sort of decided that, hey, these people need to be served, too, and want to be a part of our culture. Why not? And kind of after we started doing this um, and serving, like, so-and-so's little brother, and, you know, we started getting a fair amount of boys um, and interest from men as well, um, we sort of decided, like, wow, like, what is not revolutionary about a little boy learning to skate from a girl? We're still starting to change and shift that culture. And just because we're serving boys, too, um, doesn't mean that girls can't be served in that same space. Um, so long story short, we still do some girls-only, girls and women-only stuff. So, for instance, our ladies' nights, some of our camps are girl-specific, just because there are some girls that will not participate and we'll feel excluded or intimidated in an environment where guys are included on any level. So we do want to continue to stay true to that and be able to provide that opportunity. But by and large, all of our programs are co-ed these days. Um, so we have male and female staff. Um, we operate a team volunteer program called Youth Employment Skateboarding, where um, teenagers uh, learn job skills, financial literacy, uh, CPR first aid training, and stuff like that. And they volunteer for us over the summer. And that program is primarily guys not only is it primarily guys we have like some of the best local amateur riders that are a part of that program um and so it's super cool that we're taking the dominant culture so the guys that are really good the youngest skaters that are just ripping and sponsored and they're coming a part of our organization starting to teach young kids how to skateboard and be included in our culture so i think that's probably one of the more revolutionary things that we've done um just because now the girls and women and kids that are part of our programs and being served by our programs are working with the volunteers that have the highest skill set. And so when they show up at the skate park later to practice, they may see, oh, hey, that's my instructor from the weekend. Hey, what's up? And we're starting to bridge that community um, between ability levels and lengths of time people have skated, ages, genders, and all that good stuff. Um, 
So just in general, we're just trying to change who can take part in skateboarding. Like, what does a skateboarder look like? We're trying to make that, you know, as inclusive as possible. Very cool. Well, what has your work then with Skate Like a Girl taught you the most, your number one thing about skating, life, whatever? Kind of like what is what has been like the biggest maybe um, reward or life lesson that you've gotten from working with the organization? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the easiest way for me to think about this is what would I, where would I be if Skate Like a Girl didn't exist? And I think I sort of alluded to it earlier, like, I think I would have quit skating, but I never would have continued to pursue it. I never would have had an excuse to, because this is, like I'm telling you, when I turned, when I first saw skateboarding, when I was like 11, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I begged my parents for like a full year to get me a skateboard, and I don't know where that came from. You know, I, I don't know what it was. I just was gravitated, I just gravitated towards it, and I've always had that stoke and that passion for skating. I think it's the coolest thing on earth. And I've tried everything, you know, I've done skydiving, I've, I snowboard, I surf, like, but there's nothing like skateboarding, you know, I played every team sport you can imagine. And I'm really athletic, I'm really good at sports. There's so much, like, I think I probably could have gotten, like, I would have stuck with softball, I probably could have gotten, like, a college scholarship to play ball. But for whatever reason, skateboarding is what I love to do, and there's not a lot of structure in skating, there's not a lot of opportunity and for anyone and I think especially girls we are excluded and told we can't do things and we're kind of funneled towards activities that are hooky-dory you know what I mean like playing on the school soccer team or being into like singing or acting or something like that um and so I'm just thankful that Skate Like Girls provided me an excuse to continue to pursue my passion and now at age 26 when my parents say why don't you get in your MBA you should go back to school and do law I'm like no, I'm running my own nonprofit and I'm serving thousands of people in my local community and creating real change, like inspiring people and getting people active and, you know, introducing them to something that I've been passionate about for so long. Uh, I definitely didn't answer that with one thing, but <laughs> no, that'd <laughs> that's, be, my, that... uh, that's my best thing. Scare the girls given me. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty huge. <laughs> um, yeah. Those were all of the the questions that I had for you. Is there... Anything else um, you want to add that I didn't ask you about in terms of skateboarding, girls, what you love, anything like that? Any kind of final final thoughts? Yeah, I would say that if you're interested in skateboarding, for you, um, and there's going to be a lot of people that tell you that it's not, and you have to learn to not listen <laughs> to those people. Um, if you already are a skateboarder and you want to give back, and you don't live anywhere close to like a major city that's already hosting and doing rad things for the skate community, that you can do it. Um, when I first started being an instructor for Skate Like a Girl, we had no idea what we were doing. When they originally started Skate Like a Girl, they had no idea what they're doing. Um, most skate companies have no idea what they're doing. So uh, don't be embarrassed or think that you're not good enough. Everyone can take part in making an inclusive culture through the vehicle of skateboarding. Um, and if anyone, anyone is interested, please email Seattle at skatelikeagirl.com. Um, and we will get back to you. We'll give you all the resources you need to start ladies nights in your local community, a 12 and under skate, any type of instruction program. We love to help support anyone internationally to make uh, rad skate uh, programs happening. And we've been doing it for about 15 years. So we kind of know what we're talking about and we'd love to help support other folks. 
uh, to make change in their local community. Awesome. And uh, what's a website folks can go to to learn more about the organization and you? Uh, just skatelikeagirl.com. And just so everyone knows, our Seattle chapter is our like uh, headquarters. So that's where we have the most going on. It's our longest existing chapter. Um, we have paid staff and, and stuff like that. Our Portland and San Francisco chapter is a little bit smaller. Portland just started getting a couple paid staff. And then um, San Francisco is still all volunteer driven. Um, and we have some folks kind of running some satellite programs in other areas. But we definitely, like, we're the community. We want people to be a part of it. So check us out, skatelikeagirl.com. I guess one more thing, too, is, like, I know a lot of people say that they're, they're not good enough for skateboard or they're not coordinated enough. Um, I get those emails all the time. Um, I had someone say, like, oh, I'm 45 years old. Like, there's no way I could do it. Within a year, um, that person was learning how to drop in and ollie and shove it and do all these cool tricks. So that's a 46-year-old person but you don't hear that a lot of 46-year-old people trying skateboarding. Um, I also got an email recently from a girl. She's like, I haven't um, been active in years. I'm overweight. I'm over 200 pounds. Like, there's no way I could do it. And just recently, like, she was rolling down, like, some of the biggest ramps in the park and is just super inspired and stoked and, like, wanting to volunteer with us and be a part of our organization. So um, you're never too young. You're never too old. You're never too fat. You're never too skinny. Um, It's for everybody. Well, and thanks so much to Kristen Ebling and Skate Like a Girl for taking the time to talk to us. And it's not the only organization out there either that is using skateboarding to fundamentally change girls' lives. And next up, we want to talk about what happens when skateboarding has no preconceived gendered notions. But to do that, we must travel to Afghanistan. Travel with us. Everyone, get your passports. Get your podcast passports. We're going straight to Kabul. Okay, it was a quick ride. We're here. <laughs> We're here. Wait, we, we just got here. Yeah, the group Skatistan has been getting some major attention for bringing skate culture, positive skate culture, non-gender stereotype skate culture to the young girls and boys of Kabul, Afghanistan. Yeah, so in 2007, a skateboarder named Oliver Perkovic traveled to Kabul. He was following his girlfriend, and he ended up staying and starting this NGO called Skatistan that uh, you know began in Afghanistan, but it's now expanded to Cambodia and South Africa. And I know he's trying to expand it in more spots around the globe as well. And the inspiration was seeing a lot of these Afghani kids who weren't in school. They were extremely poor. They had no access to education and really no healthy recreational outlets. So he got some skateboards and started teaching kids to skate and using it not only to teach them skate practical skateboarding skills, but also to educate them in certain ways. Yeah, and writing about this, uh, Fast Company points out that he was using skateboarding as a tool for empowering youth to create new opportunities and the potential for change. So, you know, a lot of the kids who are in this group, like Kristen said, don't go to school, but almost half are girls. This is something that I thought was so fascinating that when you go into a culture where For instance, bicycling is not okay for girls to participate in, but you find that there is no preconceived notion regarding skateboarding. 
suddenly boys and girls can participate in something active and fun together. Yeah, and I mean, getting these girls to skate a stand requires some extra effort. They had to uh, sort of directly meet with the parents and calm any concerns that they had about their girls doing this. A lot of times they will directly pick up and drop off the girls from their homes, um, whereas the boys are freer to, you know, come on their own um, from school or from home, wherever it might be. Uh, so it's taken extra effort, but clearly paid off. And th- photos of these girls from Skatistan have been going viral on the Internet um, over the past year or so, thanks to a UK photographer named Jessica Fulford Dobson, who, you know, went and spent some time and took all of these captivating photos. And uh, at the time that we're recording this podcast, at least, they're currently on display in London's Saatchi Gallery. And it was neat hearing Fulford Dobson talking about, you know, why these images of these girls in particular have been so captivating. Um, and one of them that she talks about was so she describes her as immaculate and she is standing there in this photo. She has a headscarf on and, you know, her arm, she's like holding her skateboard right up against her and her arms down by her side and her legs are together. She's very, you know, standing up straight. And yet, you know, she she's holding a skateboard. There seems to be such contrast with that. And she told the BBC she's only seven, but she seems to have such assurance for her age. And that's one of the things that the researchers in the gender and femininity and skateboarding study found as well, that this activity can bring such confidence, especially among girls who take it so seriously that they do want to learn how to build, take apart and maintain their own boards. Learning new skills automatically just breeds a degree of confidence, no matter what your hobby or pastime is, whether it's skating or painting. And that's true, too, of whether you are a girl skateboarding, it seems like, or if you are someone our age or older who's skateboarding. And that's something that Skate Like a Girl's Kristen Ebling really drove home when we talked to her about the organization and the impact that skateboarding can have on girls. So now, fair listeners, we want to hear from you. Where are the skateboarders in our audience? I know you're there. Are you listening to us right now on a skateboard? Is that dangerous? <laughs> I have no idea. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And be sure to check out SkateLikeAGirl.com to learn more about that. Huge thanks to Kristen, with a K, for talking to us. And if you want to tweet us, you can do that at Momstuff Podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share from you right now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. 
Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Well, I've got a letter here from Jess that I want to share because she has one of the coolest jobs I've ever heard about, ever, Caroline. So she writes, I've been listening to the podcast for several months now, but this is my first time writing into you guys. I've slowly been catching up on the podcast archive, and I recently listened to both the Women in Archaeology and Women in Firefighting podcasts. I'm writing you because I wanted you to know that I do both. I work for the U.S. Forest Service as an archaeologist, and wildlife suppression is a required part of my job. You might be wondering what an archaeologist does on a fire. We're usually part of a team of resource advisors who help the incident commander make smart decisions about the cultural resources that may be impacted by the fire. We direct bulldozers around archaeological sites, wrap historic structures in fire retardant material, and make sure the retardant is not dropped on rock art panels. I've received all the same training as the other wildland firefighters, and I also must pass the same physical fitness test each year. It's not something that I ever thought I would do as an archaeologist, but I really enjoy it. So thanks for doing two excellent podcasts about what I do for a living. And thank you, Jess, because seriously, that sounds so cool and yet another fascinating example of STEM careers. Well, speaking of jobs that people never thought they would end up in, I have a letter here from Abigail about her father. And this ties in our episodes, Kristen, on interior design and man caves. So anyway, Abigail writes, I just finished listening to your interior design podcast and thought you'd like to hear about my father, who spent nearly 30 years as a police officer and who has turned to interior design in his retirement. When my dad retired from the police force in his late 50s, he suddenly had way more free time than he'd ever had in his life and didn't know what to do with himself. He worked security at a local community college to earn earn some extra cash and flipped through their catalog one day to see if anything interested him. Interior design is what caught his eye and he enrolled for the next semester. I talked to him after his first day of class and he told me, yeah, it was a bunch of 20-something women and me the old fart. The teacher actually approached me to make sure I was in the right class. My manly man dad enjoyed the classes designing things like high-end kitchens with indoor barbecues and an ultimate man cave with a pool table, giant TV, and several lazy boys. About midway through the program, my dad found a very interesting connection between his former days as a police officer and his new interest of interior design, designing spaces with a goal of crime prevention. 
Designers focus on things like visibility. For example, facing reception desks towards doorways and ensuring nothing blocks the view out of windows, and also egress and ensuring there are multiple clear paths to exits, and general safety, like ensuring phones are nearby to call for help. He has now become a certified crime prevention design specialist and volunteers his time to schools, businesses, and even homes interested in designs focused on crime prevention. Thought you might enjoy this perspective. Well, thank you, Abigail, for tying in so many of our episodes so well and for giving our listeners another uh, career idea. Maybe we need to start the Stuff Mom Never Told You Ladies Career Directory. For sure. And and Retired Police Officer Career Directory. Yes, indeed. Well, if you have any ideas for our career directory or thoughts on skateboarding, you know where to send them. MomStuffAtHowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, including that Herstory interview with Patty McGee. And podcasts, including this one, with our sources so you can learn more about the rad women of skateboarding. Head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.